Hello, Secret Squad. I'm Robin McGraw, and this is, of course, a brand new episode of I've Got a Secret. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Evan Anton, an acclaimed veterinarian and the host of Animal Planet's Evan Goes Wild. Dr. Anton is deeply passionate about providing care for animals and preserving wildlife. He frequents communities around the world that are underserved in veterinary health care. These areas have little to no vet systems in place, and Dr. Anton offers his medical skills in the name of animal conservation. Also, I'm sorry to embarrass you, Dr. Anton, but I have to say this. People magazines named him America's sexiest vet, not once, twice, but three times. And I have to say, listeners, I think it should have been four. So <laughs> what do you think about that? We're here to talk all about animals and how we can keep these gorgeous creatures safe and healthy. This is The Secret to Protecting Our Animals. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Anton. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And I have to say, we have all been so excited about having you here today because we are all huge animal lovers. We just adopted, actually, two rescue dogs oh. just a few months ago, it seems like. And they were just little tiny puppies, two brothers from a litter that had oh, been abandoned. Nice. Yeah. And they are huge. Really? <laughs> Bigger than you expected, it sounds. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I call them polar bears. Oh, that's so, cute. But they're just adorable. One of them has a blue eye and a brown eye. Oh. And so I named him Einstein. All right. Only because, not just because of the eyes, but he, he just started out being so smart. Went right to the potty pad. And I was like, oh, we got a really smart one here. So I named him Einstein. Now, his brother has two really, really beautiful blue eyes. Philip named him Blue. <laughs> That's sweet. I have a cat named Blue, actually. You do. Yeah. You do. What kind and of cat? And he doesn't even have blue eyes. Oh, really? Um, He was a, a street cat. He looks closest to a Russian Blue, actually. Oh. Um, but he's like all gray, and oh. he was just, uh, he was he was in the attic of my of my fiance's mom's house. Oh, <laughs> she, her little animal, you know, wrestling around over there and making some noise, and he was a singleton of a litter, and just, uh, yeah, they so just took just him in, and him. he's become our, one of our little cats. Oh, how sweet. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny because Philip grew up with cats. I grew up with dogs, and it's nice how sometimes you think, oh, that's the only kind of pet I'll ever have, mm -hmm. but it's not true when you find a friend or a mate or whatever that loves a certain animal, you think, oh, well, I've never had a cat. So both of our boys growing up had a mix of both. They each had a dog. And then one Mother's Day, Philip surprised me, well, actually the boys, surprised me with two kittens. Oh. It was a bit of a surprise, but especially <laughs> on Mother's Day, I was kind of like, what? Turned out to be two of my most favorite pets of my entire life, long-haired Siamese kittens. Mm, and cute. one boy, one girl. I named the little girl Little Sister because I said, boys, this will be the only little sister you'll ever have. And then the boy, I named him Simon. So it's just perfect to have a pet in the home. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the human-animal bond, I mean, it's something I've always had. I've never not lived with pets except for when I've been traveling or studying abroad or something. But at home, from the day I was born and came home, we had a cat and a dog at the time. And I've always been around cats and dogs and some other species, too. Um, you know, I'm, it's so cool to hear how much you love cats because yes. I think uh, they're misunderstood for a lot of people that haven't been around them. And mm -hmm. I always tell people, if you don't like cats, you haven't met the right cat because oh. a good cat 
is arguably, you know, one of the best, the best pet you could have. You know, I mean, they're just amazing. They can be social. They're self-sufficient. They're easy. They groom themselves. They're really easy and amazing pets. And we have a, my other cat, Willie, is very affectionate. And he's, he's inspired so many friends of mine to get their own cat (laughs) because they met Willie and like, if they came in from town or something and got to you know got some quality time with him, they're like, "Oh my gosh, I want this!" And then they oh, get I their own that. cat. It's really fun. You know, not to not to uh, have anything critical at all to say about dogs, of course, because we we love dogs, we have them. But there's something about cats that just brings a peacefulness in the home. Just they crawl up on you, yeah, and you can just sit there for hours and pet them, and they just they you can feel them snuggle up and that purring. I love when they start that purring that is because sweet. it can almost put you to sleep. And my mother-in-law used to, God bless her, she used to love, she loved cats too. She had a cat and she loves that, you know, when you, they start that purring and they take their little <laughs> paws and they work them. She used to call that, oh, he's making biscuits. <laughs> That's what we say, kneading muffins or yes. making biscuits. Yeah, yes. they have favorite blankets in the house and we'll set them up anywhere in the house and wherever the blanket is, they'll just go and blue especially, he'll just go and he'll just start looking around and oh eating God. muffins and doing his thing. <laughs> That's what they do. It's adorable. It's true. It's true. And get this, both of our boys have a hairless cat. I mean, they're very, they can be very sweet cats. Some of my yeah. favorite patients. I've never had a hairless cat, but of course, I've worked with them at the vet hospital, uh, and they can be it's, they can be just like any other cat. They're very sweet. The only thing I uh, want to inform new potential uh, pet parents of hairless cats is that because they don't have their fur, their oil glands can be a little bit more active, and when they have you know cats have spots in the house, uh-huh. and when you go to someone's house and has a hairless cat, you can often see their spots because. Yeah. There's like a little oil patch where the true. cat is, you know. It's true. But it's other true. than that, I mean, it's just, it's just like any other cat. Yeah, a lot of people think, ooh, they're not very pretty. They're not very cute, but they really are. And they have markings that make them one of a kind. And Bazant is Jay and Erica's cat's name. And, oh, he's so sweet. And he's very protective of their two children. Oh, that's really cute. And there are some very specific things that they have to do. They have to keep him out of the sunlight or put some sunscreen on him. Right, yeah. They can't let him go outside and and get into the sun. And he has a heating blanket. And then Jordan's cat's name is Zero. (laughs) And it's he's just so sweet. And they both have very, very different personalities. But I didn't think I would ever be able to hold either one of them because they don't have fur. Because they both said, hold him, it's mom, hold new. him. Oh, so I took all, I took each of them and I held them and I was like, oh, I don't know. But I have to say to everyone listening, don't be afraid of holding a sphinx is what they're called, correct? Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid of holding them. You might think you can't do it, but they're so soft and they're so sweet. So I highly recommend considering a hairless kitty. Yeah, they are fun. It is funny because cats are such blobs as it is. Yes, it's You know, they're so, they they just, they feel like they're made of rubber. Yes. And then when you feel one without fur, it just feels like this skin blob flopping around. And it's just, it's, <laughs> that sounds pretty weird, but it's true. It's they're, true. Uh, yeah, they're, they're special, cute little guys. They, they're fun they too, are. for sure. Well, my first question to you was, what was your upbringing like? And have you always had a love of animals? So obviously that's true. You've always had pets. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when I first came home, we had a cat named Sophia and a dog named Bruno. And, uh, you know, Bruno was very protective of me. He was a Doberman uh, German Shepherd rescue mix. Um, And we were extremely close. I mean, anywhere I was, he was there. He was always giving me his toys or helping me. You know, there was times where he would, you'd see him like nuzzling up my bottle to help me, you know, drink from it. And they're like, he was just such, he was like a big brother or a dad or something, you know, like an extra parent almost. He was so sweet. 
Um, and yeah, we always had pets. You know, we we all I always had at least one cat and dog, and often multiple of each. Mm-hmm. And then I had some exotic pets growing up. I had a couple of different reptiles and some small mammals and stuff. Um, and you know, it's just it's all about that human animal bond, and that's mm-hmm. something I encourage anybody to try to experience if they have the means to. If they, if, you know, if you have, if you can. You know, provide all the things in a pet needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm telling you, you will not regret having one in your life. It uh-huh. will just make every day better. And you know this. Yes. Obviously. But they're so good for you emotionally. And they mm-hmm. teach you things. Like, I mean, I love how they're all about living in the moment. You know, uh-huh. that's what I think a dog and a cat does every day. They're not thinking about the past or worried about the future. They're just, mm-hmm. I want to enjoy hanging out with you right now. And I just, uh-huh. I love that, you know, having that uh, relationship with them where I can get that every single day. I love that. And I love that you encourage the listeners and anyone to consider having a pet from the time all children are very young. I think it encourages them to be responsible and it shows them the ability to love someone other than just family members or friends that it's just, it's a beautiful relationship, I think, for children. Absolutely. I mean, I think it teaches new forms of empathy mm-hmm. that are hard to achieve with just other human relationships. And because mm-hmm. you are caring for this thing um, and the responsibility, like you said, and, uh, you know, there's physical uh, health reasons too. You know, yes. I mean, uh, we see a, a good bit less allergies, uh, human allergies, when they grow up around having dogs and cats. You know, That's those so dogs true. and cats bring in all kinds of new antigens yeah. and the kids are less likely to have allergies, and uh-huh. yeah, it's oh, just it's yeah, you can't go wrong. You know, it's it's so good for a family and for a child. You know, you mentioned yourself having exotic pets and reptiles and such. What kind did you have? Uh, my uncle actually got me uh, my first pet reptile. He got me an iguana, oh. which uh, it was a lot of fun. I yes. don't, I actually don't recommend them often as a pet because. They get the green iguanas, you know, they get to a pretty good size uh-huh. and they really require a lot of space. And yes. so they're they're actually a little bit more of a challenging reptile pet compared to like a bearded dragon uh-huh. is a very social reptile. It's very intelligent uh, for a reptile. They don't need a crazy amount of space. They're not super delicate like chameleons are. So, you know, younger children can handle yeah. them. And if you provide, you know, for them what they need, they do really great in captivity. Oh, yeah. Do you know our oldest son, Jay, had the bearded dragon. Right. He had the iguana. All right. And he would take that iguana out and put it on his shoulder. It was so crazy because he would just walk up to us and go, hey, mom, and I'd turn around. Because ah, it'd be right there in my face. But it would just sit there and kind of run its head back and forth and look at me. I'm like, Jay, honey, you, you can't do that. You've got to put that iguana back in the cage. And it it really scared me. But he had this love for reptiles. And he had a lizard. He had lizards. And he had a snake. He okay. had a couple of snakes. All right. I didn't know that Jay liked reptiles so much. That's he really cool. loved them. And you know, when he asked for his first snake, his dad and I said, okay, so if you're really serious about this, we made him read three books on snakes. Love that. You guys are awesome. And yes. we had him write a written report on snakes, and we had him give an oral report to his class. At the time, he was going to a Montessori school and was in a classroom. He was in the sixth grade, and we discussed it with the teacher, and we said he, we required him to read three books, write a written report, and then give an oral report to the classroom. She went right along, supported that, and he did it. So we thought if he's that serious about owning a snake and he does all of this, then we're going to support him. He did it. I love so many things about that. Number one, it breaks my heart to hear about parents that have some maybe irrational fear 
uh, or phobia of, of a species or group of animals like snakes, for example. Uh-huh. And they say, you know, mom or dad says, no way, no snakes yes. in this house. Yes. And this child is so fascinated by something and you're stunting their, um, you know, their, their ability to appreciate yes, and learn more about these that, animals. That, yeah. That's... So number one, that's huge. Number two, that you guys said, hey, I want you, you need to do your homework. You need to do your research. I yes. need you to, I want you to read these, you know, three books and mm-hmm. give a report and prove that this is not an impulsive thing exactly. and you're actually going to take care of it and you're going to learn how to take care of it because as a veterinarian, you know, one of the most common reasons I see exotic patients, exotic animal patients, is is simply an ignorance for knowing how to properly care for them. Right. Because every different species has different requirements, whether it comes to UV light or humidity or temperature or diet or space or enrichment or being a social animal. And they need to have, you know, guinea pigs and rats need to have a buddy. They can't be alone, like all that so stuff. True. So when you do that kind of, you know, I, I'm always saying, you know, you, you know, do your research, do your homework, yes. just like what you guys did. So I, I yes. really applaud you guys for uh, you. doing that with your kid. Thank you. It was so important because one very, very important fact that uh, Jay learned was when you feed a snake, never feed it in its cage. Yep. Take it out, put it in the bathtub, feed it. I'm not going to tell you listeners right now what it was. <laughs> Sometimes I had to feed it for him because he was in school and I didn't mind that he, whatever, but. Props to Robin. That's, that's awesome. Oh, Good yeah. for you. I dropped him off at school yeah. and went to the pet store. I bought the, the meal Food and <laughs> came home and uh, properly took it out of the cage, put it into the bathtub. You feed it, not in its cage, because every time you reach into the cage to take the snake out, maybe to hold it, show it, play with it, whatever, it won't think it's going to be fed if it's fed in the cage. Right. You I mean, take it out, put it in the bathtub. And so the snake knows, they're smart enough to know, oh, if in the bathtub, I'm going to get fed. But every time the owner reaches into the cage, it doesn't think it's going to get fed. So it doesn't get aggressive. Exactly. I mean, snakes can learn. Yes. You know, any reptile can any, learn. And yes. it's a simple case of positive reinforcement learning. And when you are seeing a hand coming in with a prey item or a food item into the enclosure, I mean, you can't blame the snake for thinking, oh, this might be good. I might be getting food. And so they strike. And so if you exactly, like you said, if you get them in a different environment, a different habitat temporarily to eat, that's that's a great way to be able to to encourage that nice, you know, safe and uh, gentle and friendly handling with your pet. Because oh. when they do strike, often it is, you know, when people are doing that, it's not because they're trying to hurt you or no, they're f- afraid or defensively aggressive. It's right. just, they just think, oh, I get food a lot of times you do this. So I, you know, maybe I'm getting some food. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and you know what's so funny, and I'll move on after this, but what's so funny uh, is Jay's son, London, my grandson, for his last birthday, he asked for a chameleon. Oh, right. He's so into <laughs> pets and reptiles and such from school and such. He asked for a chameleon and they got him one, but they had him do his research. That's huge, especially for chameleons. You know, yes. I touched on them briefly earlier, just saying how yes. they're gentle in terms of their just as a small little delicate uh-huh. animal. Yes. But they're also very particular with their uh, with, with how they're cared for in captivity, their humidity and the yes. ventilation and UV and all that stuff. Yes really has to be dialed in. So for somebody like Jay, who's got a lot of experience with reptiles yes. and, you know, he was raised by you guys, so yeah. he knows how to encourage that, you know, do your research yes. kind of mindset, yes. then I, I think they'll they'll be successful. But they're, you know, if you don't do it right, chameleons right. often don't thrive. That's so. right. It, it, this chameleon is thriving. And I just now, while we're talking about this, realized, and looking back, I know that London, he was actually staying with me just before his birthday for a few days, both he and Avery, because Jay and Erica were out of town. And he was telling me about all his research and he was excited about his gift. It didn't even dawn on me 
that his daddy had him do that from his experience. So I'm kind of excited that we even brought this up. So I'm going to have to tell Jay. Oh, yeah. good for you. Good for you. But, pat on the back but, for you, yeah, too. He's having, he's having a lot of fun with his chameleon. So That's really cute. So when did you know that this was your career calling? You know, I didn't know until college, actually. I always knew animals would be a big part of my life, whether it was personal or professional or both. But I, I started yeah, going at school at University of Colorado at Boulder as a mm. business major. And I took some intro bio courses to Gem Bio 1 and Evolutionary Biology. And I just fell in love with it. And I had a great teacher. Um, and I just, it was, I found it so much more interesting than any of the business courses I was taking, which I do find interesting and it's in, in other ways, uh, more now, now so than I did then when I was 18 years old, but, yeah. um, I just fell in love with it. I, I, I love to learn and I, I didn't mind studying for it and I wanted to delve in deeper and I just found it so fascinating. I, in the back of my mind also had an appreciation for medicine and human medicine, thought, man, you know, it'd be cool to do surgery or work in the medical field and, um, I don't know. I kind of put it all together at the end of my freshman year of, of undergrad and realized, you know what, this makes so much sense for me, and I can work with animals. I, 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 you know, wanted to travel at this point. I hadn't really started, and I wanted to do, you know, work with wildlife. I wanted to work with pets. I wanted to do it all, and then I just pursued that and didn't look back. And I really think to this day it is my calling, and I, you know, I'm very happy that I chose this career path and do what I do. I love that for so many reasons. I mean, if you're going to do something you, for the rest of your life as as a career, of course you want to love it. Of course, you want to just be very passionate about it. It's obvious that you are, and so how wonderful that that you knew right then. That this yeah, is I'm what really you lucky. To. I'm so lucky that I had that realization and I had the vision and how I wanted to pursue that and what did I wanted to do with that career. And I mean, yeah. so many people don't even know what they want to do. So true. And you know, I'm just lucky that I, I was able to figure that out and I had the opportunities <sighs> along with the hard work I put into yeah. it to pull it off. So tell us what veterinary school is like. Is it similar to the other medical fields? Yeah, actually, it is quite similar to uh, medical school. Um, so, you know, it can vary from one country to another. In the U.S., typically, you do your undergraduate degree, and you do a bunch of prerequisites to qualify yourself to apply to a veterinary medical school. And they're really similar, actually, to prereqs for a vet or med school. Um, and then for vet school, you take the GRE instead of the MCAT, which is, uh, I'll be honest, is not as challenging as the MCAT as far as I, as far as I can tell. I haven't taken the MCAT, but <laughs> it's like a, it's like an essay. It's like a, you know, a little bit more of a challenging SAT. So mm -hmm. it's not quite the same. Anyways, it's a four-year program and you go through basics and physiology and anatomy and, and, uh, you know, just kind of learning how all these systems work in your first year and second year, you're learning more about diseases and pharmacology. And in third year, there's more courses, but you're also on clinics about half and half, depending on what vet school. And then fourth year of vet school is all clinical rotations. So you're spending your entire days on different rotations throughout the hospital or in externships and other places with specialty, um, you know, whether, whether it's cardiology or oncology or surgery or what have you. Right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So how long after you completed school did you begin to gain attention for your work? Um, well, you know, I graduated in 2013. Yeah. And in that, I want to say that summer, I actually was on my a TV show for the first time in my life. And it was Kris Jenner's uh, talk show when yeah? she had that. Yeah. And she had NeNe Leakes on as a guest, uh, yeah. one of the Atlanta housewives. And um, we had a big, like, 13-minute, you know, two-segment yeah. bit where I got to bring out all these different animals and talk about them and had a total blast doing it because oh, it was that was something I've been wanting to do since 2007. I knew I wanted to be a vet in, like, 2004. Yeah. And then I did a study abroad semester in Australia, and I was like, you know what? I want to not only be a vet and work with individual animals and pet parents and, you know, wildlife 
conservationists and wildlife vets. I want to, you know, raise awareness for wildlife conservation on a bigger scale. So I was started making, you know, videos and I, I didn't even know what I used them for. There wasn't much social media. I threw uh -huh. some of them on YouTube and just hoped I'd meet a producer or something uh -huh, along the way uh -huh. and get a TV show or something. Yeah. That seemed like the most practical thing at yeah. that time before all the means we have for media now. Um, anyways, yeah, I did a couple of shows and then I went viral in uh, like early 2016. Some of the big uh, online news outlets like Huffington Post and BuzzFeed and a few others did a, you know, interviewed me for a story. And that's where my following really started taking uh -huh. off on the social media side. And then, uh, you know, a lot of doors and opportunities opened up from there. I love that because, you know, you have a huge social media following. You have 1.3 million followers. How has your platform impacted your work? It's really opened so many doors love it. Uh, for, for things for me to do. And it's allowed me, you know, I mean, at this stage where I am and what, what I can bring to the table with a, a following on social media and having, you know, having the show I had on Animal Planet and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I can really raise awareness for wildlife conservation. I can share stories of individual animals, and I can work with individual animals with my you know, with my veterinary professional yeah. skills and whatnot. But you know, I'm, I always botch this quote. But Jane Goodall said something along the lines of, um, "You can't love what you don't know, and you can't you know you you only want to make a difference or change what you love." Something along those lines. Uh -huh. And so what I'm getting at is, a lot of people just don't know the plight of the rhino in Africa. They don't yes. know what's going on. With and why we don't want to pursue, you know, elephant tourism in, in Southeast Asia. You know, these are things I just want to get out there. And I feel uh -huh. like with a platform, I can make a difference in that way. And then, of course, I love working, you know, hands-on in the trenches with conservationists and wildlife vets and wildlife rescues around the world as well. Oh, I love what you just said, because you don't know what you don't know. And education is key. So, with you having such a passion about educating basically the entire world about <laughs> animals, it's like if we don't know what they need and if we don't have someone like you who's passionate about to tell us, then how are we going to be part of your army? How are we going to be part of— yeah, How are we going to help these animals, right? Exactly. You know, if you how don't even we... know what's going on. That's exactly so that's, right. that's step one. And that's where I feel like I can make the biggest impact. Mm -hmm. And this is our natural world. I mean, this uh -huh. is what this is what we are as earthlings, as they uh -huh. are. And, you know, we're going to lose a lot of these major iconic species and habitats, you know, if we don't start uh -huh. keeping that in mind as we move forward and grow as humans. Uh -huh. And I'm all about that, too. I mean, uh -huh. we need to just do it intelligently where we can still thrive and grow as the human race, uh -huh. but keep in mind how we can do it responsibly uh -huh. when coexisting with our wildlife and its habitats. Wow. I totally agree. And that's why I think it's so important to continue to be a part of the social platforms now, especially yeah. with the pandemic, everyone's staying at home. It's such a great outlet to have that platform to get no, I totally agree. I mean, the, the truth is, though, I, I feel that it's that much more important, in my opinion, because to be honest, Robin, I, f I worry that the net effect of social media is actually more destructive than it is constructive mm -hmm. for our wildlife because of when you see things like cub petting and when you see, I mean, there's just a lot of bad stuff going around and you see, you know, monkeys is looking like their pets yes. in human households and yes. how those animals get there is often they're poached or caught from the wild or you see chimps dancing or playing on their phones. I mean, all that stuff is actually horrible for wildlife. Um, and so, unfortunately... They also get the biggest engagement, and you uh -huh. see a lot of profiles and, and even you know celebrities and, and big influencers and whatnot. And I think anybody that engages with this and even maybe goes cub petting, their heart's in the right place. They like animals and they like wildlife, and they're not trying to do a disservice for those animals. But the reality is that is what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so I try to also educate people about that because 
that kind of content is actually not doing any favors. It's mm. actually doing the exact opposite. So it's it's that much more important to share with people what that's about and what's going on and what's really important and where you know what we need to be focusing on uh-huh. uh, with all the with all the other stuff going on, which unfortunately again gets the most engagement. Uh-huh. You know, I totally agree. All the more reason why we need someone like you to get the message out there. Tell us about your relationship with wildlife conservation and how did you pivot into this sector? You know, growing up in Kansas, we were chatting a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, yes, such a small world. I'm so, going to tell the listeners right, right fast that before we started this, we talked about how your mother actually went to school with Philip in Kansas. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's I think Shawnee Mission world. North, I believe. Yes, yes. <laughs> I just can't believe that. I think it's such a small world. It really is. It. It's too funny. It. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, yeah, I grew up there and in, in the first house and I lived until I was about eight years old, we had a Creek in the backyard yep. and my first memories and my favorite thing to do as a child was just go into my yard and look for turtles and snakes yeah. and wildlife and flip rocks for cool insects and frogs and, and just appreciate what was right in my backyard. And anywhere you live in the world, there's mm-hmm. something in your backyard. There's yeah. something right, you know, where you live. Um, and then as you know, I, I saw more and learned more and watched more and read more about wildlife around the world, I, I was like, man, I want to see, you know, I want to look for a king cobra. I want to find these <gasps> crocodile species. I want to see a binturong and these crazy primates. And I did a study abroad semester in Australia, and I traveled all over that country. And then I did another one the next year, my final year of undergrad in Tanzania, and got, uh, you know, really amazing insight into what it's like to be human on such a different place, you know, with the developing country and whatnot. And Anyways, I got the travel bug. I wanted to just see my favorite wildlife around the world wow. uh, while working towards becoming a vet to one day be able to give back to this wildlife I've always appreciated so much over the years and work with, you know, animals and trying to get them back in the wild and, and work with conservationists and and um, and just, you know, try to promote our, the conservation of our wildlife. And so it's it's always been a huge motivation for me. And then, you know, at the beginning of our, of our talk here, we were talking about pets, so I love uh-huh. working with pets too. So yeah. I'm so lucky and I'm so thankful that I kind of get to do the best of both worlds. I get to practice locally where I work at Conejo Valley Vet Hospital and I get to work with some exotic pets and wildlife, but a lot of cats and dogs, which I love. And then I I get to travel the world and I also work with some domestics. I'll go to different rescues at times and work with some large and small animal. But I also, um, you know, I love working with our wildlife around the world and in their native habitats. I love going to South Africa and working with the rhino or going to the Congo and working with chimps or elephants or binturong in Southeast Asia or little, uh, you know, howler monkeys in, in oh. Peru. It's it's all very special to me. And it's just part of our natural world. And I love it. It's this inexplicable passion I have for it. And so if I can give back to them and help conserve that in any way that I can, and working with really amazing people doing doing really hard work, you know, in regards to the rescues, the conservationists, the veterinarians that do this kind of work, 360, you know, 365 days a year, um, it's, I, I feel very fortunate to get to do so. Well, you know what? I just want to say, well, where do I sign up? Because <laughs> you are very passionate. It's like I cannot imagine how you just don't have a mile-long list of people wanting to sign up and support you doing what you do best because I cannot imagine. And you, you're so blessed at the same time to have had these opportunities already. I'm so happy for you. I could not be more blessed. I count my lucky stars every day. Yeah. You know, I, I put the hard work in, don't get me wrong, yes. but I've had amazing opportunities along the way. And for me, those opportunities plus the hard work yeah. is, uh, you know, I wouldn't change what I do or change my life with anybody. I, I really couldn't feel more fortunate. Oh, I love that. What do you see as the most important issue in wildlife conservation today? 
I think the big things are raising awareness mm-hmm. and just, you know, explaining and educating to people that here's what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, another one, again, and I think I'm biased because of my role in social media and where that's where a lot of my work is 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 directed to and geared by uh, that whole problem where I, I really do worry that the net effect of social mm-hmm. media is, is not doing our wildlife any favors. And there mm-hmm. are so many good platforms and I'm not taking away from them. True. But there's so many even bigger platforms that are doing things that are really not what we want to be seeing. Yes. You know, I have to say education is key. It comes down to just educating people as to what is the most important issue for our wildlife. Right. And trying just to get them think intelligently, too. You know, I mean, I talk about this kind of thing where you see, let's just say, uh, you know, a monkey is a pet. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so when you see that, people love it. Because they're adorable, especially baby monkeys. They're super cute. They look like they're playing. They play with other pets. They cuddle with you. You can feed them, and they look like this little monkey baby kid kind of thing, and it looks just like the funnest thing ever. And those kind of posts and videos get so much engagement. They get tons of comments and likes and shares and all the stuff. Um, But when we're doing that, we're actually fueling the poaching of these animals from the wild. And so not to be, you know, gnarly, but for example, with chimpanzees, okay, uh, when... A baby chimp is is abducted from the wild. Its entire family has to be killed because chimps are a lot like us. And if you try to take one of our babies, we'll Uh fight to the death to Uh prevent that from happening. And the same thing goes with these chimps. So when poachers go out there, they got to kill the whole family. They get one baby chimp. And then they send these chimps uh, mostly to certain parts of Southeast Asia and China and then some parts of the Middle East to go be in a circus or in a a roadside zoo or sometimes as a pet as well. and, you know, chimps are hardy primates. They're very hardy. They're very durable and very tough. They're not as delicate as orangutans and some other species. And when these chimps go from being abducted to trying to get to their final destination, you know, nine out of 10 of them don't survive, eight to nine out of 10. And then every time a baby's taken from the wild, it's on average 10 family members that are killed, but often it's 20 or 30 or more. And so anyways, for every baby chimp that you see, you know, tied up with a chain around its neck in some kind of crappy zoo in, you know, China or Syria or something, a hundred chimps, you know, died because Uh of that. And and what I'm getting at with the social media correlation here is that every time that kind of content's engaged, which we're actually fueling this to happen because we're, we're, you know, every... It comes down to this. Every time you like or, or comment or share or what have you, you're voting. It's just like a consumer. You're voting. You know, you're saying uh-huh. this is I, I like this. And you're, you're telling these these profiles, you're telling these platforms um, more of this. This is what I like. Keep doing more so of this true. and get more engagement. And so, you know, the poaching world sees that, too. You know, uh-huh. the wildlife world sees that, too. And so when we're engaging and showing that we like this because our heart's in the right place. We do think these animals are cute and we Uh don't know how destructive and bad it is and what horrible pets that primates make. They can be good in captivity in the right situation, but as a pet in a household, no, not good, especially once they start reaching sexual maturity. That's another story. Uh, But yeah, you're voting every time you do it. And so when you vote to say this is cute because you want to share it and you vote when, you know, and like an elephant painting and uh, understanding what they've been through and what they have to go through to get to a place where you can, you know, make them paint for you or ride them in Southeast Asia. It's it's really sad stuff. So I, I also try to educate, you know, not only this particular post, but just think about, you know, just w- when you're seeing something 
before you engage, think twice. Be like, does this does this seem like maybe it's a good thing? Does this <gasps> seem like maybe it's what the animal wants to be doing? Does it seem like it's in the best interest for the species as mm-hmm. a whole? Mm-hmm. You know, think about those things, you know? That's so true. Great information. Think before you click on that like just because it's a cute photo or a fun-looking photo. And think about what it took to get to that point and was it really worth it? Yeah, and I hate to take the fun away from social no. media. I love social media. I have fun on it, too. I like to see funny yes. stuff and non-animal-related stuff, too. Exactly. But you just have to be a little bit responsible. Just be a responsible voter when you're going after this stuff, you know, and you're, you're oh. with whatever you're gauging with. Oh. And that's only in the best interest of, of these, you know, species or whatever it is. I mean, I'm sure this applies to any other, you know, concern in the world. I'm just in the animal no, world. Totally so that's agree. where I know. That's, yes. that's the world I know, you know. <laughs> yes, I totally agree with you. I have a foundation. When Georgia smiled, then we focus on domestic violence and sexual assault. And and I often pretty much say the same thing. In fact, when I give speeches about it and I'll say, you know, when you're visiting with someone and you ask anyone, how are you doing today? Just go with your gut. Did you ask that person because it's just a common thing to ask someone and you're just going to move on? Or do you really want to know? Don't click that like button just because you just think, oh, that's just the common thing to do or that's what everyone does and everyone else clicked it. It's got a lot of likes. Think about the same thing. I say the same thing when you are in a group and you walk up to someone you don't know, just go, hi, how are you? Don't ask that unless you really want to know because that person may be struggling. That's a really amazing analogy for an unfortunate topic, but that's, Mm -hmm. yeah. And it goes back to, you know, I mean, humans, the way I look at it, we're animals. You know, there's a lot of distractions to what we are instinctually as animals. Yes. yes. And so we have all these, you know, small talk kind of things that you don't really see in the wild in the same way, you know, you don't exactly. see that in nature. And so being able to step back and, and really kind of get a, a feel and a vibe for, mm-hmm. for what's going on there, I can see how that would apply. But that, yeah, it's a great analogy. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's, and that's really, really lovely advice. Thank Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street. Essential television. Thank you. You know, I'd like to stop right now, and I have two things I do in every podcast. And the first one is the drink of the day. Ooh, yes. okay. Yes, and I'm so glad that we're here in person and this isn't virtual because I always enjoy it. This drink of the day Thank is you. called Gatorade. Now, it's not Gatorade. It's Gator, G-A-T-O-R slash aid. <laughs> and we create our drinks of the day because of the topic and of my guest, so this was created by my that. staff, Gatorade. It's well, one and a half ounce of bourbon, <laughs> one cup of lemonade, one teaspoon of fresh lemon juice, two to three fresh basil leaves, and one lemon wheel for garnish. You fill a tall glass with ice, place the basil in the palm of your hand, and clap hands together. This helps release the flavor. Next, 
pour in the bourbon and the lemonade, stir together, add a lemon wheel, and enjoy. So cheers to you. Cheers, Robin. <laughs> this is love. Gatorade. I love this. Uh, I'm going to be making this at home now. <laughs> Gatorade. <laughs> I'm not a bourbon drinker, oh. but it's pretty darn good. I like bourbon. This goes down nice. Yes. This is very good. So this is in honor of you and our topic today. Oh, I am honored. Thank you for You're that. You're so welcome. And I just want to encourage all of my listeners to go to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com, and you will see Gatorade and the beautiful drink finished, and you'll also get the recipe, and so you can make it for yourself. Yeah, I'm definitely going there. I don't remember <laughs> everything you just said. You said it so beautifully, and it's like oh, you've, you. you've been making this drink for years, but I've got to yeah. go look up the ingredients for sure. <laughs> good, isn't it? It's really nice. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so if I finish it, I may not be able to finish the podcast, so <laughs> I'm not going to. Okay, so do you have a conservation hero you look up to? Yeah, I've got a few. Uh, so one I grew up with and I was so inspired by and, and is Steve Irwin. Oh, you yes, know, and and, yes. and his family does so much for conservation, and I so I, I really do appreciate them. I actually had the 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 opportunity and the pleasure of meeting them earlier, about just almost a year ago. I was in Australia right before the pandemic started. I got home in oh. early March, but I reached out to them and got to meet them at their zoo and hung oh. out for a little bit, which was really really nice. Um, but yes, yeah, Steve Irwin, you know why? I, you know, a reason why he's one of my conservation heroes is because, uh, you know. I think he's raised awareness for wildlife arguably more than anybody else in history ever. I You know, I think people you. when they think wildlife and wildlife conservation, they think the croc hunter. Yes. And he's done a lot of real things for our, the conservation of wildlife and that's really also, you know, very important, really great too, but at the end of the day whether you think things that he's done is controversial or whatever, I mean, the guy's gotten more people excited about animals than anybody mm -hmm. has ever. Mm -hmm. And you could just see the passion and the love in him. Oh, very In real. his eyes, in his voice. And his family. In the voice, and yeah, his family, yeah. yes. Yeah, little yes. Robert and Bindi and yes. Terry, I mean, all, they're all, and Chandler yes. too, you know, yes. Bindi's husband, you know, they're all, they're total freaks for animals. And oh. it's, you know, we, yeah, we all, we all get it. So I, I, that was really fun. Um, and then, you know, I've, I'm so like I've been in touch with uh, Jane Goodall's team and, <gasps> She's so inspiring, not just as a conservationist, but I mean, you know, for women as well. And yes. go, I mean, she's whether she's a woman or not. I mean, this yeah. this American, this this white person yes. who happens to be a woman, yes. went to you know one, a dangerous part of Africa and said, "Hey, I'm really passionate about what I do." And you know, Diane Fossey's another example of that. I mean, these are some of the toughest yeah. people in the world, and they're women, and they're putting themselves in in a place that is. Yeah, they're risking their lives. Yes, yes. You know, for the sake of our wildlife. Uh, and then they're doing real, legitimately super important research yes, that's yes. taught us so much in how to conserve uh, the habitats of where, you yes. know, gorillas and, and chimpanzees live. Yes, um, bravo to them all. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah. And I met another guy. His name is <laughs> Ivan Carter. So he runs the Ivan Carter Wildlife Conservation Alliance. And this guy is just, a, a, he's one of those people where I, I don't know when he finds time to sleep because he does conservation work all over Africa. He's dialed in with all these really big, amazing organizations. And um, we met briefly in South Africa, you know, maybe a year and a half ago. Um, and then a little after that, he said, hey, Evan, I want you to come out to Uganda and we're going to be translocating some giraffe. We're taking them from Murchison Falls National Park and we're going to move them to the Pianupe Wildlife Reserve, also in Uganda, a place where the giraffe have been locally extinct for over 40 years because oh. the Lord's Resistance Army uh, had wiped them out through bushmeat and poaching and stuff. And this the LRA, the Lord's Resistance Army, they were basically like, um, you know, if you're not with us, you're against us, and we're going to, you know, kill and rape and destroy everything that's in our path, basically. 
um, including the wildlife. And so, yeah, people like that, you know, and there's, there's, the list goes on. There's so many amazing people I get to work with. And, you know, the people I work with are the rhinos in South Africa, you know, Nico Jacobs and, and Rhino 911 and his oh, whole wow. family. I mean, they're, they, this guy puts his life on the line, as does his wife and other people that work with him. And they get in the helicopter at dangerous times of day. They rescue orphans. You know, they're, they help with anti-poaching efforts. And they, they really, they put, they, they put themselves in a situation where they might not be coming home tonight oh. and they do it for our wildlife. And so... I, that's not something I do every day. You know, I've only been with them on a couple of things where I've been in that kind of situation. But you would. Um, yeah, I would. But man, I mean, you know, gosh, it, it just blows my mind that, that, that they're so passionate about it. And, and all the rangers, too. I mean, all the rangers. You know, more rangers that protect wildlife in Africa have been killed fighting the war on wildlife than Americans have been fighting the war on the Middle East in this uh, century. You know, I mean, it's a real war out there and people yes. don't even know. And every time they're going out, they're putting their lives on the line. And I mean, the last time I hiked with gorillas, some of the guys I was, I was, I was you know, doing that with for the Eastern Lowland Gorilla in the Congo, they got into a firefight with some of the, the rebels in the area, some of the pygmy rebels and some of the guys I was with that lost their life three days later. Oh, oh my. You know, I mean, it's a very real thing. It happens every day. And, you know, those guys, as much as anybody, are my ultimate heroes. I mean, that's what I dedicated my book to. Oh, it was to the rangers out there because... They put their lives on the line every day. I mean, that's the ultimate sacrifice, the way I look at it. Oh, right now, I want to take this opportunity for you to tell the listeners the name of your book. Yeah, World Wild Vet. And it's okay. uh, it's all about my, you know, it's my it's about my travels working with wildlife around the world from being a, you know, wildlife enthusiast, nutcase, doing things that I probably wouldn't do today <laughs> to get to work with a lot of the animals I wanted to see, uh, uh, to, to what I do today as a veterinarian, where uh -huh. I get to work with conservationists and and, and get in, in the field doing some really incredible conservation work. And there's some crazy stories in there, some uh -huh. scary stories, happy, sad, yes. funny, lots yes. of funny stuff, tropical diseases, all kinds of stuff, oh, you wow. name it. Yes. It's just kind of my adventures along the way over the last uh, 16 or so, 15, 16 years. Wow. Yeah. I have to tell the listeners, it is a book you will not put down. Thank you, Robin. Especially if you're an animal lover, because it is an exciting page starter. Oh, it's a great gift you. book. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. I'm very proud of it. I'm very happy with it. You this. should be. So you've gotten up close with some very dangerous animals. How do you get comfortable doing that? You know, I've there's something wrong with me where I actually, <laughs> I love that. I, I find it fascinating. And my favorite animals growing up were crocodiles and <gasps> venomous snakes and, you know, mega carnivores and some of the most dangerous animals. I mean, you know, one of my favorite things to do is to swim with some of the biggest sharks, you oh know, dangerous sharks. Yes, yes. In the Read world, the I mean, I love that stuff. You know, I just, I unfortunately, I was going to be in the Bahamas now, but um, with the weather, the the the, uh -huh. oh, the the waters were too sketchy to be on the boat, and the visibility was yeah. was not good. But I wanted to swim as tiger sharks again and hammerheads as well. But I, I personally love it. Um, but I always go into these situations with a, a massive amount of respect for what these animals are capable of. And I read every situation based on the individual animal, not just yeah. what, what are trends, what, what can we expect to see with this species, knowing about what their potential range of motion is or their temperament or whatnot, but every individual truly is different. Uh -huh. And so, you know, when it comes to working with animals and wildlife, it's reading them, their body language, their 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 mannerisms, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how, how do they, you know, behave when you approach them, that kind of thing. And a lot of wildlife, obviously, we have to sedate if we want to get close to it or, or anesthetize. It's just impossible to work with a leopard, even if it seems friendly or not, uh -huh. Uh -huh. to hands-on yeah. unless they're yeah. out. And, and same goes for even, you know, simple, you know, like a raccoon. A raccoon will rip you to shreds, Ooh. you know, a big raccoon. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's just having respect for them, listening to them. By listening, I mean, you know, reading their body language and whatnot. 
And uh, I just happen to love that stuff. Oh, my gosh. Again, read the book. But <laughs> has there been an encounter that really made you more nervous than any other? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Which yeah, I've, I've had some, you know, one of my first ones, actually, when I did uh, that, that second semester studying abroad, and I was in Tanzania, I was doing this, like, uh, research kind of project in the Serengeti. And oh, I was yeah. at the uh, this hippo pool there. And we were, I was with a few classmates. It was a small program altogether. It was, like, 19 students. And I was with, like, four other students and we were monitoring hippo aggression based on their location in the hippo pool. And so in the deep, it was the dry season. So the water's really shallow and there's a little bit deeper water in the middle. And that's the most competitive area. So that's where you see the most, you know, teeth bearing and yawning. And they do this thing called fanning where they, they defecate while fanning their tail and spreading their, their, <laughs> their stool everywhere. And they're, they're, they're kind of trying to say, this is my habitat, this is my area. So it's just one, yeah. you know, that funny thing that wildlife does. That's a good way to... <laughs> yeah, I mean, if people start doing that, probably be effective. Yeah. Nobody want to go near you, yeah. so yeah. yeah. Um, gotcha. I'm out. Yeah, yeah, it's all yours, buddy. So yeah, we were doing that, and then we we're kind of wrapping up. And at the end of the day, and you know, as you know, I love reptiles, and so I went to go. Uh, I needed to just relieve myself, and you know, just take a little pee in the side of the creek. And so I went <laughs> around this hippo pool, and it was a dry season, so the walls of the of what was kind of almost a river. You know, in the wet season, it's filled with water. In the dry season, it's just like these dry walls. So I'm just kind of in this little valley that's like six or seven feet tall or something like that. And I take a, a full turn, and I'm kind of looking for snakes and also just finding a spot to pee. And, man, there's a big hippo, and he, he, he was just waiting for me. I mean, he's looking. He's eye contact, looking straight at me. He heard me, knew that I was coming, smelled me before I had any idea he was there. And he's like, you know, 30, 40 feet away. He's, he's, a, he's not... You know, he's a little ways away, but way closer than I want to be yeah. to an animal that can run probably almost twice as fast as me and is known for killing more people than any other big animal in Africa. Oh you know, gosh. other than mosquitoes and, and venomous snakes. Yeah, I mean, hippos, when they're when they're really full out, I mean, they can run up to 30, 35 miles an hour. Whoa. And me with adrenaline, maybe close to 20, and that's <gasps> probably being ambitious. So, you know, really? with, a, with a lot of adrenaline, Ooh, yeah. you know, so... Um, yeah, I mean that that's a terrible place to be. And and not only that, you know, uh I'm between the hippo and the water. And that's the last place you want to be with aquatic and semi-aquatic animals like a hippo. That's scary. So I thought that was maybe my last day in the bush and anywhere. And I uh I slowly um you know, I I you know, discontinued eye contact with this thing. I didn't want to show any aggression. Hippos aren't like, you know, people say like bears make noise, scream at them, encourage them, you know, show them that you're you're a tough, scary thing where they might want to think twice. Hippos don't look at you like that. Hippos think, yeah, you want to go? We can yeah. have some fun. Yeah. And they're not Bring carnivores. They literally just are aggressive as all can be, and they just kill people. They kill fish fishermen and more people than lions or crocodiles or anything. And oh So, God. yeah, I'm, I'm not feeling like I'm in a good place. Anyways, I, saw, I, I don't look them in the eyes. I've got them locked in my periphery, and I literally just I kind of you know drop my shoulders. I'm just trying to look as, as yeah. least amount of intimidating as possible. And I don't know if it's really going to make a difference. Honestly, I don't, but I just hope it does. And so I, I just walk backwards and keeping an eye on him and just go back around that corner before to, to the point where he can't see me. Yeah. And I think once I get there, I am out of here. And so I did just that. What was like 30 or 40 seconds seemed like it was 10 minutes of just getting out of there. And then oh. when I got behind that corner where he couldn't see me, I climbed up out of that riverbed and sprinted away and looked back a couple of times and didn't see anything. And it was fine. So nothing happened. You know, I, it's not like I was really in the throes of it. But towards you? Nothing I saw. He stayed in that area. I mean, I think honestly, okay, this was like late morning. 
Hippos generally are in the water during the day. They usually go and graze at night, and that's when they're on land. They're eating grasses. They're, they're herbivores, and they eat you know, grasses on land, not so much in the water. Um, and so I think he was just coming back after a late morning stroll, and he probably had to go a lot further. Because it's the dry season, yeah. there's less grass available. It's not right there by the water. So yeah. he was probably tired, and he's like, man, I don't have the energy to kill you right now. Like, <laughs> I just don't care. Just, like, stay out of my business. Get away from my water. My full. I just, and we'll be fine. Oh if he was God. fully energized, and it was another story. But he was probably thirsty and tired and just wanted yeah. to relax in the water. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think there's been a couple of things like that, you know, just close calls. But, you know, nothing in the wild where it was, you know, a really hands-on kind of scary experience. But enough for me to, you know, continue to fully respect these animals and what they're capable of. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I want to ask, when does an animal become classified as endangered? Because a lot of people do not know this. They're like, yeah. it's endangered. No, no, no. Well, it's the, the IUCN that determines their, their, uh, their conservation level, if you will. Um, and, you know, I think there's some different variables, and I don't think it's a black and white thing. I don't think it's like, okay, if you are under, you know, a thousand individuals or whatever, you're critically endangered. I think it really depends on other factors like uh, the birthing rate of the animal, the habitat, um, the, the amount of land that they're native to. And uh, you know, I honestly, I'm I'm kind of talking out of my out of my bum. I don't okay. I don't 100 percent know because I it just varies so much, okay. and I just kind of go off of what they say for a okay. given species. So it's not like a as as far as I know, I don't think it's a black and white thing. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. so we'll move on. So, well, you've traveled to many incredible places. Do you have a favorite? Yeah. Um, okay, I say this in sincerity. Everywhere is special and, right. and has something amazing and unique to Sorry. offer that I love about it. You know, even in my own backyard in Kansas where I grew up, right here in California, I mean, you don't see rattlesnakes in other parts of the world. That's and right. out here in the American Southwest, we have some of the most gorgeous, incredible, and unique, you know, adaptations to the snakes we have. So I love yeah. that. But um, with that in mind, I love going to Southeast Asia as one of my favorite areas. Oh, and that's yeah. because it's so... From somebody native to North America, it's so distinct. It's so exotic and unique and different. Oh, I, I mean, they have animals and a lot of people I haven't heard of. I've mentioned that this species a couple of times, like a binturong. You know, oh, it's they're related to civets and genets and and other. They're called viverids, but they're these weird carnivorous mammals that just look. I you know binturong. It's also known as an Asian bear cat, and it looks like a cat mixed with a bear mixed with a oh, raccoon. You know, and wow. it's this crazy weird animal. And they've got elephants out there. The snakes. You know, they have cobras and all these wild, crazy snakes and we don't have, you know, in North America. They just have so such different, and all the primates out there. Oh, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, Indonesia, for example, you can go find Komodo dragons, um, spitting cobras, orangutans, and tarsiers, which are like one of the smallest or if not the smallest primate in the world. Um, you know, and on a couple of different islands within, you know, I saw all those in the course of a two-month trip that I spent out there after graduating vet school. and. There's such a variety. You know, I love working and spending time in Africa because of that wildlife and the people, too. There's such durable, hard, hardy people and animals, and they're, they just seem to have another layer of toughness. And I say this, you know, from the medical veterinary side, working with the wildlife, um, than other, you know, wild animals I've worked with. I mean, the habitats they've endured— the geopolitical drama they've had to go through, uh-huh. um, all the things they have to deal with in terms of the poaching and the habitat loss and the bushmeat and the uh, illegal animal trade and everything. I mean, it's just such a rugged, rough place. <sighs> and the wildlife is crazy. I mean, there's nowhere else in the world. 
And Africa is a huge continent. So. Yeah. But there's nowhere else where you see so much big game. I oh. mean, there's like every country in sub-Saharan Africa has dozens of different species of big antelope. They've got several mega carnivores because they've got the leopards, the lions, the hyenas. Mm -hmm. They've got it all. Um, the only thing, you know, they don't have bears, which is kind of interesting. But mm -hmm. other than that, I mean, they've got so much just big, crazy wildlife that there's there's nowhere else like that on the planet. And they're very passionate about their country, of course, but also their wildlife. Oh, absolutely. Any very country I've worked with in South Africa, they are. They're very proud. Very proud. As they, as I sh as they should be. And I'm yes. thankful they are because that's what keeps them motivated to keep protecting. And they're very passionate. And there's a lot of, the, you know, a lot of the odds are against them with the illegal yeah. animal trade yes. with, uh, with, you know, China taking it, um, you know, working their way into mm -hmm. developing certain parts of Africa. And the mm -hmm. way they're doing it is actually not in our the best interest of our wildlife and habitats. Yeah, that's so true. Um, amongst many other things, but yeah, they're, they're super proud, and I, I'm super proud to be able to work along <sighs> people, you know, alongside people like that. Yeah. So I'm going to ask this in case there maybe is there a dream location visit that you haven't yet? There's so many. Oh, oh really? I've only been in like uh, maybe 45 countries, and there's 200. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I love especially traveling in the tropics because there's such crazy wildlife there. Um, I've never been to Madagascar, and yeah. there's such unique, endemic, crazy stuff you don't see anywhere else in the world. Uh, I've been to Sri Lanka and Nepal, but I've never been to India. And India has really? such a crazy yes. abundance of wildlife. Oh. Uh, Malaysia's got great diving. I've heard amazing things about Guyana and its wildlife in South America. I've always wanted to go there. Wow. Uh, the list goes on. I can yeah, go all day. But those yeah. are those yeah. are a few. Uh, Papua New Guinea's up there, too. But the, the, I'll stop now. Those are a few that I oh. want to see. Wow. No, well, I bet you're going to have a wonderful future of travel. That's so, the hope. That's the plan. What can the everyday person do to help conserve wildlife? Just one tip. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, again, we've hit on this, but I think this this really is an applicable way. Just be responsible. I say, quote unquote, voter. Yeah. And as a voter, you know, as a consumer, what you're buying, you know, if you want to maybe just do a little bit of homework and see where uh -huh. it's coming from and how it's getting that. there. And and when you're engaging on social media, you know, just thinking uh -huh. just simple things like that actually go a long way. And uh -huh. it's not asking a lot of money or time. Um, and this is something anybody can do. And it's really not asking so much. And if, if you want to do more, there's always more you can do. Uh -huh. I mean, donating to the right organization can go a long way. Now, mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a lot of organizations that say a whole lot more than they actually do. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so that's a really tough world to navigate in figuring out who's actually putting their money where their mouth is, who's yes. actually doing the right thing for the animals and not raising money and saying it's for an animal. Uh, and it's really, you know, 99% of it's going elsewhere. And, uh -huh. you know, I, that, that's also something that I'm very disturbed by because the people that give their money up for something like this they want to help these animals. Yes. They want to yes. help this wildlife. Yes. And when so they, they have a budget, then they can do this with. And when another organization says, hey, give to us, we can do so much with it and blah, 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 and they're really not, you're really taking money away from the animals that need it. And so I'm bothered by kind of fake BS organizations. I'm bothered by them as much or more than I am the poachers that are just going out there. Because they're the poachers, at least, they're not they're not trying to front or, or you know, they're not lying to your face or yeah. trying to, like, they're like, hey, we're going to, we're poached. This yeah. is what we do. Yeah. When these other places are like, oh, we'll put this money here. And so that's that's a tough world to navigate these days. So the key is and, do your homework. Yeah, do your do homework. Social media has made it even more complicated, to be honest. But do your homework. And I'll tell you this, you know, anytime I advocate or promote or work with an organization that's doing something towards you know, conserving our wildlife or it's a rescue or, you know, veterinarians I work with. Um, and they, you know, there's an opportunity to donate towards their work. I can tell you firsthand, 
If you do want to donate to, to that work because you like elephants or rhinos or crocodiles or what have you, your money's going to a place where it's actually going to make a difference. Oh, I love that. So if you're associated with it, they can trust yeah, that's, that's, that their money's going to go to him. No, no, no exceptions. If if, if if their money if the, they're not doing the right thing, I, I'm not going to work with them altogether. I love it. You know, I love but if it. I'm working with them or promoting them and tagging them and that kind of thing, I love it. I can guarantee you, you're actually really making a difference if you do want to help out. I love that you just said that. So let's quick like talk about your book. We I know we've already touched on it a little bit, but I really really want to talk about your book, World Wild Vet. What inspired you to write it? You know, it's it's something I thought I'd be doing later in my career. I, I graduated in 2013. I've only been a vet for almost eight years, and I, I, I plan to be continue doing the kind of work I'm doing for decades to come. But I realized at this point, you know what? I've I've had the good fortune to see and learn so much around the world, um, and I don't, you know, I I think my stories are fun and awesome and funny and scary, and you know, they're they're worth sharing in, in their own uh-huh. way, but. Uh-huh. More than anything, I thought it was an opportunity to educate. Uh-huh. And I thought, man, I've just, I've, I've, I'm one of these vets where I've gotten, you know, there's, listen, there's so many other wildlife vets, and I'm not going to pretend that I'm better vets than them. When I go work with my rhino vet friends, they're way better rhino vets than me <laughs> because this, they work with African wildlife year round and they're mm-hmm. amazing at what they do. But I've had the opportunity to work with the rhino, but I've also worked with the crocodile in the Philippines. I've worked with the primates of Central and South America. I've worked with all these different species and gotten to see the plight of these different habitats and these species and what it's like to work with this wildlife. And so I've learned a lot about what it means to work towards our conservation and what are important lessons and things I think that people then appreciate the animal and wildlife Uh world or really anybody Uh uh, would like to know. And it can maybe implement in their lives. And I uh-huh. saw it as an opportunity to get this out there. And I thought, you know, I've, I've got enough adventures under my belt, enough uh-huh. crazy stories, enough experience and working in six out of seven continents. Uh-huh. Um, I don't have to wait another 10 or 15 oh, years or so even five years. Like, I'll, I'll write another book if I want to. Yes. But I've got enough to put something together that's going to share some amazing messages that I think are super important from what I've gathered in my experience and um, also have some fun with it along the way. You know? Oh, I love that answer because I almost feel like I could answer that for you because when you write a book, it's almost like what inspired what inspired me to write a book is not not really because I wanted to tell the story. It's it's the story I had I wanted to share with everyone else hoping that it would inspire them. Exactly. Right? That, you just said it so much more eloquently than I I, I feel like I didn't. But, I love that. No, but, that's it. Yes, that's it's it. like, well, this is my story and if it inspires you, that's what's inspiring me to share it with you. Yeah, I love saying it more like that. It's not like I want to tell my story to yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah, no, I've got a story. And I, I do. I mean, I love my stories like I do, yes. and uh, you know, they're fun to share. But really, um, if this can inspire you yeah. and you can learn from it, and maybe it just inspires you to just go to one of these places Because your story whatever. did inspire me. And as I said earlier, it, it inspired me so much, I had to buy it for others as gifts because I want the listeners to know your book is amazing. So I love it. Can you tell the listeners where they can buy the book? I'm so flattered and humbled by that. I just thank have you. to say thank you so much. My um, it's it's available in uh, lots of places. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. Uh, there's actually a special edition there with a couple extra chapters. And oh, I, um, it's yes. on Amazon. It's uh, it's an Audible. It's I mean, I think any major book selling uh-huh. source, Great. it's going to be available. Great. You yeah. must, you must. And get I read the, the audio book. Yeah, and you did and had fun doing yourself. that. Yeah. Oh, that's a tough thing to do, though. It but it's is. fun. It, but it's tough, isn't it? Oh my Ooh. gosh! Like I'm. Ooh. Yeah, I, I, I don't have any professional no. work in that way, or voiceover, or either. acting, or anything. Anytime I'm on camera, it's just like from having experience yeah. of working, you know, yeah. and being on camera or whatever. 
But um, oh my gosh, when you want to you want to convey a message uh-huh. and you want to read the sentence right, but as its context in the whole paragraph and the whole chapter, yes. and you can't botch a word, and it's like. Oh, it's yes. tough. I mean, and I have I'll a very irritating there. voice anyway. I have Not a really croaky, cranky. No, that's why you have a podcast. Oh, thank you very much. But I don't know if they told you this, but I, I do remember when I was reading my audiobooks, one thing that helped me was when my voice would get dry, mm-hmm. I was told to eat Lay's potato chips or a slice of apple. Interesting. It was, it apparently and just kind of hydrates, it hydrates your, your airways yes. and your yes. larynx and stuff. Yes. Okay. You would so I had to keep... Love that advice. Yeah, yeah. I'll do that next time for sure. Yeah. Thank you, Robin. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> okay, so we've come to the second thing I do with every podcast, and that's play a game. I love games. Let's do oh, it. Oh, good. I love <laughs> games too. So this game is called Lap of Luxury. So for this game, I'm going to test your knowledge of some very famous pets. Ooh. I'm going to read a clue, and we're going to see if you know the animal. So are you ready? Okay. <laughs> okay. So this farm animal was George Clooney's pet, BFF, from 1988 to 2006. I actually don't know. Max, the pot-bellied pig. That's cute. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Audrey Hepburn met this woodland animal while filming Green Mansions and quickly fell in love. She even made a bed out of a bathtub in her home for it. Oh, that's really cute. Um I don't know. I would guess like a raccoon or something, but... No, Pippin the deer. Oh, that's cute. I I did not know that. (laughs) I don't recommend people taking in wildlife as pets that are actually wild animals. That's another story. I won't preach anymore, but yeah, that's that's very cute. That's sweet. I love that. I love that. Because you know what? We've got a lot of deer around our home. And so when I pull in the driveway sometimes, let me tell you what deer can do. They can jump over the car. Wow. They'll be grazing right at our gate. They'll be eating my flowers. And they've jumped over my car. Like to get through your gate on the other side or something? So or? I'll, I'll be turning the corner to open the gate to get in. Mm-hmm. And they'll be grazing right there at my flowers. And so they'll see my car and they'll want to get away and go back up the hillside. Right, right, right. And they've jumped over the hood of the car. Wow. That's how strong and fast they are. That's incredible. It is incredible. Yeah. It must I look would... like an African antelope at that time, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. The Queen of England has had over 30 of this animal in her lifetime. They even have their very own room in Buckingham Palace. I mean, the, a dog? Yes. Yeah. Do they have cavaliers or what do they have? I think they're corgis. Are corgis? That's right. That's right. Yes. They have corgis. That's they're right. They're corgis. She has a lot of them. Yeah. Okay. Tinker Bell was Paris Hilton's famous four legged sidekick for over 14 years. What kind of dog did, was it? It was a chihuahua? Yes, yes. Yeah. Ding, ding. You got that. I got one. Okay, one for four or something. <laughs> Carl Lagerfeld was quoted as saying, I never thought that I would fall in love like this about his trusted companion. I mean, given what we talked about earlier, I might have to say cat. Yes, it was. <laughs> and the name was Chopat. Oh. Chopat. Yes, I love Carl That's Lagerfeld. That's cute. Okay, Meredith Grey and Olivia Benson are the beloved duo of Taylor Swift, named after Law and Order and Grey's Anatomy characters. More cats? Yeah, more cats. All right. Thank you. <laughs> okay. The game is over. I killed it, you guys. Wow. <laughs> I know my celebrity pets. <laughs> okay. So, Einstein and Blue are the names of dogs of this person. Hmm. Robin McGraw? That's right. Nailed it. Okay, so I'm like 50% now. And Blue is the name of the cat 
or this person, Dr. Evan Anton. <laughs> okay, so we both got Coming one. out on top. <laughs> okay, and that's unfortunately the end of our episode. So thank you so much for being such a wonderful, fun, and brilliant guest. Can you tell the listeners where to find more information about you and your conservation efforts online? Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the easiest places you can go to my Instagram, which is dr. Period Evan Anton, like Dr. Evan Anton. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Evan Anton or Facebook, you know, Evan Anton, a lot of the same kind of stuff. Uh, and then, of course, the book. Yeah, the book's available anywhere. You can catch a lot of my stories and learn if, if you love, you know, whales or whale sharks or sharks or gorillas or chimps or crocodiles or elephants, the list goes on. If you like those animals, I, I think, you know, you'll find some, you'll, you'll have some fun reading about it. I love it, love it. So that's wonderful. And as always, Secret Squad, make sure to rate and review this podcast and check out I've Got a Secret with robinmcgraw.com for more information about today's episode. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.